Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. Thanks for joining me again for another great interview. This week's guest is Scott Hartman, trombonist of Empire Brass fame. Scott's got some great stories for you this week, but there's one in particular you won't hear during this interview, and that's how he got into the Empire Brass. But you can find that story by becoming a Patreon patron. More about that in just a minute. But right now, I need to let you know more about the show's sponsors. And we'll start with Messina Covers. Messina Covers is not just any other case company. David Messina and Erica Howard design and produce some of the most beautiful cases that fit both form and function. You can choose your case design, fabric and trim color, custom embroidery, and more. Find out more at messinacovers.net. Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. is when you can tune in and listen to the radio version of these interviews. Each week I choose highlights from an interview and add in musical selections written in or performed by the guest. And you can find this show on the FM dial at 88.7 WICR The Diamond. You can also tune in via the iHeartRadio app. Again, that's each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Peter Pickett and his crack team of craftspeople are continually innovating and providing the trumpet community with spectacular options for stock and custom mouthpieces. He and Eric Marine can help you find just the right size to fit your needs, and you should definitely consider trying the acrylic cup and rim. And if you're in the market for a custom trumpet, then Peter and Eric can build a Blackburn trumpet just for you. Check them out at picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Studio HFL. And you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And you know, while you're there, you ought to just go ahead and subscribe. My first experience with a Hammond Design mouthpiece has turned into a bit of an obsession. From one to, well, I think it's more than 30 now. Um, and just don't tell my wife. There's something very comfortable about playing one of Carl's mouthpieces. The comfort, response, and sound are part of that HD experience. Try one of the stock mouthpieces or have Carl make you a custom one. Either way, everything is better in HD. You can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes, go to Apple Podcast, and leave a star rating and a review. Doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners. When I first tried an Eastman B-flat trumpet a few years ago, I was blown away by the playability and the sound. And the more I found out about the company and got to know the people, I knew that this was a company I wanted to have a relationship with. There's a drive for excellence in design and production of every instrument, not just the high-end products. And the proof of this is the one and only Doc Severinsen helped design the Eastman beginner model trumpet. I still play my B-flat and have added a spectacular cornet and flugelhorn to my arsenal. Find out more at eastmanwins.com. I would love it if you would visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. While you're there, you can also visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself and as a gift for someone else. Of course, that is at studiohfl.com. My current situation with my C trumpet is ridiculous. My Shire C, which Samantha Lane helped me trial and choose, is the most versatile C I've ever played. The line of Shire's trumpets includes the Q series, which are production models, and the custom series, which is exactly that, they're custom horns. Either way you go, you'll love the sound you get, and you'll also experience exceptional customer service. Find out more at seshires.com. 
And lastly, here is how you can access exclusive content like the interview excerpts. I'd like to invite you to become a part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help to financially support the show for as little as $36 per year. That's only $3 a month. Benefits include access to interview excerpts, a behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. Join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com slash studiohfl. And now, on with my interview with Scott Hartman. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, the first time I became aware of you, of course, was Empire Brass. And, you know, fun little group, right? That's for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, then over the years, uh, you came to Indiana and did a, at least one sabbatical, I think, for somebody. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Brad Kozer, studied with you while he was while you were there. I don't know if you remember. Right. That. Oh, sure. I do. But, uh, so, you know, I'm here doing this podcast, and originally it was all trumpet players. People are going to get pretty bored of hearing from trumpet players. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've done a good job of not talking about equipment and that sort of thing. You know, it's just trying to have a good conversation and, you know, see what's going on with people. And um, I think only once have we ever dis discussed equipment. And really? certainly not, certainly not with low brass. You know, it's uh -huh. like I'm com I get completely lost when it comes to that. But, um, but welcome, welcome, Scott Hartman, to my program. I'm glad you're here. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Larry. Um, so here's kind of where I've been starting with everything: is how are things going these days with you? How are you navigating through all of this insanity that's going on right now? Well, I'm going with the flow. Is uh, that's my mantra it has been for a number of years actually uh, yeah. I'm still teaching at Yale it's Yale School of Music which is really nice uh, my wife is the conductor in Tacoma Washington nice. and so that's uh, that's about 3,000 miles away right right <laughs> and uh, and I got three three kids uh, one is 12 and twins are eight I'm not eight ten uh, so they're they're right <laughs> in the middle of school yeah. So we yeah. decided to uh, move our home base to Washington D.C. Not Washington D.C. Washington State near mm -hmm. Tacoma. And so, so is that where you are now? Uh, well, we drove back about a month ago. We, after being away for three, three and a half months, uh, myself, uh, we all drove back to uh, mm -hmm. spend some time here in Connecticut. We've got a house in Connecticut still. Yeah. So we'll be here for the better part of uh, a month. And then uh, slowly migrate back. We're driving. We didn't want to fly. Yeah, I, I can't imagine flying anywhere right now. I mean, it, it, it's already bad enough pre-COVID, right? I mean, you get sick w anyways. <laughs> but um, so what's school look like for you guys? I mean, for yourself, is Yale going back in person or are they doing online? Well, they've been, they've been really trying to work out a hybrid system out uh, where they're not they're not uh, pressuring faculty to teach in person if they have health issues or reasons so they would rather not. And same for students. Um, so we're, I'm trying to work with this hybrid system as well. My, mm -hmm. my particular problem is that the family's in Washington State and sort of, I'm gonna stay here, teach uh, and see my students in person uh, before we migrate back and then hopefully take a, another drive back by myself and, and do some more teaching during the semester. So otherwise I'll be teaching online. Yeah. And your kids, are they, are they going to be in, in school? Online. Yeah. Online. It's all, all online too. for them. Yeah. yeah. 
-hmm. And it's interesting, out of our district, uh, only 16% have offered, uh, have chosen to go online, which I'm really surprised that I thought it would be wow. a much larger percentage, so. They, yeah, well, but, people, people have to work. That's, uh, I presume, the, a major yeah. driver. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, and it's fortunate because, you know, here I am, I can, I can work from home. Mm -hmm. My wife owns a screen print shop. It's downstairs okay. in the basement. So, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we can still try to get stuff done uh -huh. uh, that way. So I, I haven't done my homework properly. You're, I expect a trouble player and, and I am. a teacher. I am. Yeah. yeah, I teach at the University of Indianapolis, small school. Great. Great. Yeah. And uh, it's my also my alma mater, which I think is pretty cool, you know, to <laughs> be able to go back and teach. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. You mentioned your wife's a conductor. Uh, what group? It's Symphony Tacoma. It, uh, they, it was Tacoma Symphony, but they rebranded themselves to Symphony Tacoma recently. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a really nice situation. She's enjoying the orchestra and the, and the community administrations, and uh, we're really having a good time out there. Nice. Yeah. That is, I'm thinking now, you, you mentioned that drive. Would you say 3,000 miles? Uh, it was about 3,600 miles by the time we <laughs> drove into our driveway. 11 days. We, so we, do, you, do you zone out on those or do you, you know, listen to a lot of music or podcast or how do you, how do you pass the time there? Well, it, it's different when you're traveling in a van with the family. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So a bunch <laughs> of audio books, um, a little bit of uh, zoning out, but surprisingly little. Usually I, when I travel, I love to listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. So I'm a fan of podcasts. So, uh, but uh, I am too, yeah. you know, a good way to pass the day. And, and, you know, as musicians, now you might not do this as much anymore, but uh, as a freelancer, I do an awful lot of driving anyway through the year. And it's been great, you know, Brass Junkies, The Other Side of the Bell, you know, that, and The Other Side is a trumpet podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, Radio Lab, I found, you know, discovered quite a few nice, nice programs to listen to. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. You, you learn things about people you wouldn't learn otherwise. It's just like, you know, that's uh, uh, the an equivalent of sort of having a Saturday night quiet evening, just sort of chatting with somebody. And that doesn't happen very often. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I will say, you, you talk about, uh, you know, having the whole family in the van. Of course, you know, my whole family's been here in the house since March 13th. Um, we've gotten to know each other a little bit better, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and we usually tried to have at least one meal where we gathered everybody together. Now now we're doing, you know, two or more meals a day where we're, you know, we're all sitting together. And that's yeah. been really nice, you know. Yeah, for certain. That is, uh, it, yeah, it's a, definitely a... Yeah, blessing in disguise here, not necessarily a disguise, but the right. collateral blessing, put it that way. <laughs> right. Well, when I can peel my boys off a of fortnight, you know, that's, <laughs> that's how they've been passing some of their time. But Sure, sure. How old are your kids? Um, well, in the house, I have uh, my 10-year-old, a 13-year-old, and then I have a 31-year-old uh, from a, I had a practice wife way back in the day. <laughs> so, um, and... Uh, Oh, they're all great. They're all great. And I have a granddaughter. I mean, can you believe that? I wow. feel old enough to have a granddaughter, but I do. So Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, how long have you been at Yale? Boy, uh, 2001. So I think this is my 20th year. Well, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that a pretty big studio there? Uh, well, the way the Yale School of Music uh, has evolved, is uh, it's a small school. Uh, and so there's, there's a set number of six, four tenors, two basses. 
and uh, the, it's graduate level only and uh, tuition free. So, so that wow. sort of it's a really nice nice situation for everybody. So the level is really great. Uh, I really enjoy working with everybody there. So when you say graduate level, does that include master's and doctorate? It does, but there were uh, we have a, an unusual doctorate, a sort of a premium doctorate that the, the mm-hmm. school you know wanted to sort of distinguish their doctorate program from uh, from the run of the mill doctorate program. So mm-hmm. so we have certain criteria that make that a little bit different, and um, it's not necessarily the most practical situation uh, for or brass players and football players who are getting a doctorate largely so that they can go out and teach. Right. So, so it's, so the way it's structured is, is uh, you do your coursework at school and then you enter the, your chosen field and distinguish yourself, come back uh, after three or four years and defend your, your accomplishments and uh, either get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That is different. Yeah. It is quite different. Um, I, I can see then you're probably getting uh, already some older, more experienced students, right? I mean, these are, um, well, you already said they're, they're really kind of focused on teaching at this point. Well, the, the doctoral people, uh, but in reality, yeah. we get very few doctoral candidates uh, mm-hmm. applying because, because the degree just doesn't necessarily fit into their, right. their, their future plans. So, so the majority uh, are master's age students, mm-hmm. and we have we have a, a, another degree which is called a uh, an MMA. I think that's what they call it right now. Uh, and uh, so that that is basically a, they call it a master's of musical arts. And for people who already have a master's, they can uh, apply for and possibly get in. Mm-hmm. So, some majority of people that are at the school of music are between twenty and twenty four. So aside from um, doing your applied, do you also coach ensembles there? Chamber ensembles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's a, the school's had a long tradition of uh, emphasis on chamber music. They have two dedicated blocks, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, from one thirty until four, basically one forty-five to oh. three forty-five. But so that's and nothing else can uh, officially take place during that time. So that's fantastic. So everybody in the school uh, who's enrolled has to be enrolled in chamber music. And so I, uh, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> I, I am too. You know, uh, our school is a small school and we've got IU just down the road and Ball State and, and Purdue. Um, there's no way we can compete <clears throat> band wise. You know, we can't, mm-hmm. <clears throat> pardon me, do the entire program the way the others do, which is great. Um, so they really, about a decade ago, decided we're going to focus on chamber music. And I think that was brilliant because, <laughs> well, you know how this works. I mean, you, you, you learn so much more. There's responsibility uh, all of a sudden. You know, you're not going to be spoon-fed by the conductor on everything. And so I see the real value in chamber music. I think, uh, you know, it sounds like a, a fine experience at Yale. You know, I wish, yeah. I wish more people would uh, encourage that. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I realized a long time ago that uh, the skills necessary to be a great chamber musician are basically ensemble skills. So you can apply them in a duet setting or in a huge orchestra. Uh, so, so it's just it's like an advanced advanced skill set. So, so I I think that orchestra players as well as anybody else benefit from this is equally fantastic. 
Um, I went back on your website right before we started, because and then I was reminded I need to ask you about slush pump. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, that's an old term apparently uh, for a trombone. I'm not sure. Oh, of I course, I haven't heard that name. Yeah. So that's um, was it like the 1920s, 30s? I believe so. Yeah. 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 My <laughs> dad, my dad, and and his brother uh, were really their best buddies, and they learned to play banjo in the 20s, and they. Uh, Michael made his, li his living his whole life as a musician. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, they, they grew up in, in the swing era, essentially, mm -hmm. 20s and the 30s. And so the, that, was, that was a term they were familiar with. And mm -hmm. so therefore, when I started playing trombone, <laughs> I was termed uh, a slush pumper. That's great. <laughs> Maybe it might, might uh, uh, make that term now part of today's vernacular, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, should should be. Um, okay, so Yale for since two thousand one. That's that's mm -hmm. terrific. Uh, had you taught anywhere prior to that? Uh, well, uh, yeah, my sort of pedigree, so to speak. Uh, essentially, I, I'll give you just a quick synopsis. Uh, so mm -hmm. I grew up in upstate New York, Elmira, New York, and I went through the band program, which uh, was a really fine band program, uh, right from elementary school right up through junior high, and the whole region was. Uh, sort of in a, a golden age of, of band instruction and playing, I'd say. Uh, so that was fantastic for me. And uh, went to Eastman after that, uh, auditioned for Donald Knob, who's, uh, who's mm -hmm. Emory Remington's successor at Eastman. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people recognize that Eastman was one of the major troubling uh, factories, schools, uh, right. you know, incredible. Thanks to Emory Remington, plus it's a great school, but, yeah. but he taught there, I think, close to 50 years. And uh, wow. some some of the great players of the 20th century studied with him. And mm -hmm. uh, as did Donald Dobb, and he succeeded him uh, as a teacher, uh, but he accepted me to the school, but uh, by the time I showed up in the fall, he'd moved to University of Texas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, no. yeah. so I never studied with him. You stayed at Eastman. I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did my undergrad study with John Marcellus, which was fantastic. Had uh, you know amazing peers at the school. You know, I can go through a list of them: you know, Steve Witzer, uh, Mark Lusk, uh, John Fedchuk, mm -hmm. Jim Schnarberg. Uh, just like huge, amazing list. Mike mm -hmm. Davis, uh, Phil Toga. Um, oh, Mike Davis of uh, is a hip bone. Michael Davis, yeah. Ah, yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just uh, you know just. Just an amazing list of trombone players, and yeah, and uh, yeah, so so that was a a, a primary benefit to me, certainly, mm -hmm. just to be around these people and to realize what people of my age uh, can do. And so it kept me kept me uh, practicing. <laughs> yeah, so I did my master's uh, music ed and performance. Uh, I was out for a year, and uh, my first job was Empire Brass. And uh, Empire Brass at that point was in residence. Uh, uh, chamber music residence and some some teaching, right. so and uh, that was at Boston University. So mm -hmm. I joined joined there in 1984 and uh, taught there until 2005. Actually. Wow! Oh. Yeah, and um, in between time I was I was also at New England Conservatory for I think three years, maybe four years, '93 mm -hmm. through '97, '98, '99, maybe it was five years. And uh, I actually does. I, I was a faculty member at Indiana University for three years. So no kidding. Not, I thought maybe I thought maybe it was a sabbatical. That shows what I know. So <laughs> yeah, 
Well, no, it was, uh, yeah, I, that was my first full-time teaching job. And, uh, and I kept my adjunct positions at, in Boston at that point. Yeah. And, uh, just, uh, and per- turned out I had a lot of roots in Boston. I loved, loved New England and, uh, ended up on Boston university created a full-time position. And I, I won that position and that's what mm-hmm. pulled me back. Mm-hmm. And so, and then did that for one year full time, and then the Yale position came open, and Alan Dean uh, had to be happened to be on a gig with Alan Dean, which was a, was a funny gig actually. It was in uh, it was in I can't think of the town right now, but uh, it'll come to me in California, and they were celebrating. I think it was the cent- centennial anniversary of an Armenian church. David Ohanian of the Canadian Brass, uh, formerly of the Empire Brass, a colleague of mine from the Empire Brass, uh, they contacted him to put together a quintet of Armenians <laughs> to play at this church. <laughs> so there was uh, David Ohanian, uh, Sam Palafian played. Yeah. And uh, so those were the two Armenians. And then Alan Dean, who's not Armenian, and yeah. Tim Morrison, very un-Armenian, and myself. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, that was the gig. Uh, that uh, Alan just brought it to my attention that there was an opening there. John Swallow yeah. was retiring. So uh, it turns out that I got that gig and uh, and did full-time at BU for well, four years or so yeah. and uh, decided that it seemed a little bit too much like work <laughs> five yeah. days a week of, of full-time teaching. So so I, I jettisoned that job, got married, and uh, I've been at Yale full-time or not full-time. Uh. It's not a full-time job, actually, but oh, so that's yeah. It's a uh, I get benefits, and it's a is a very nice position, but it doesn't mm-hmm. take up five days a week, which is fantastic. Right. So, how do you fill those other five? Are you teaching independently or performing recitals, anything like that? Uh, well, over the years, it's sort of obviously it migrated. Uh, right now, with the kids being young and my wife. Uh, she's a bit younger than I am, and her career's doing really well. So, so I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot of fatherly duties for one thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, and that's hard come, work. I know that. <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. Yes. It takes yeah. takes a lot of time. You know, yeah. washing, cleaning, cooking, uh, just organizing. Nowadays, with the kids at home, uh, helping them with the schoolwork and keeping mm-hmm. them on track. Um, so, for a number of years, my I sort of have scaled back my my uh, ambitions as a performer plus mm-hmm. the business has just imploded a bit uh, tiny bit right <laughs> yeah yeah uh, even before covid uh, so uh, traditionally what i do is I, I i do a number of summer festivals i teach at chautauqua a couple of weeks do chamber mm-hmm. music uh, mm-hmm. there for a couple of weeks norfolk festival which is part of the yale school of music their summer chamber music festival Couple mm-hmm. weeks there, uh, Mendez Institute, Rafael Mendez oh, Brass Institute. Yeah, yeah. And, that was just yeah. was it last week or two weeks ago, right? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Really nice, fab- fabulous. Bang for your buck, I think. <laughs> yeah, they, they do so many things there. So the summers get filled up, and then there's always something else that comes along. Uh, playing the brass band at Battle Creek still. Oh and, no, kidding. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, small world, yeah. of course. Uh, and you know Rex. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say, Lenny, he's, you know, he's right down here in Indy. So, exactly. you know, yeah. I work with him occasionally in the studio. Great guy. Great guy. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that and, uh, you know, sort of a lot of trombone sort of centric things, uh, you know, trombone day here and there and 
uh, sort of recitals. And so it keeps, keeps me practicing and busy, mm-hmm. but, but it's um, not my primary mm-hmm. sort of, uh, doesn't pay the mortgage necessarily. <laughs> right. Um, with recitals, do you tend to go towards the traditional or do you like the some maybe commissions or or newer newer music? Um, I like a, a mix. I uh, you know, having played uh, in the Empire Brass and a lot of other chamber ensembles uh, over the years, uh, and playing for you know, brass loving audiences. You know uh, those audiences uh, they they like all kinds of music uh, and brass players. You know we can uh, interestingly we can play music from the last 600 years uh, the western tradition plus you know works for just about anything right. so i i like to mix it up but i i do I, I love i love renaissance vocal music just one of my favorite things mm-hmm. to listen to and to play that type of music on through the baroque uh, i like i sort of grew up listening to tommy dorsey jack teagard and Herbie green that you know the, the swing era uh, was was sort of what really made me love the trombone mm-hmm. and music. Uh, so I, so I always like to do some, some, something on the lighter side. Plus I do, I like new music, uh, as well. So I, I do do a little of everything and I like, I, I like to play music that I, I really find to be excellent. Mm-hmm. So, so I, um, well, I think audience audiences appreciate that, you know, not that you're always trying to play the, the, the latest, most angular piece where, you know, there's a, well, I'm not a fan of that. I know there are an awful lot of people that are, uh, but uh, no, I, I like to have a good tune in well, there, you know, nothing wrong with wrong. that, right? No, no. I mean, if you played uh, what you have, I mean, you've gone to you played concerts and talked to people in the audience after the concert and uh, you know, the, there will be two, maybe two pieces that sort of rise to the top of the, of the, the favorites list. And one of them is always the pretty, the pretty slow, beautiful melody. And yeah. So, so it becomes really clear after playing a couple concerts that uh, that's what the audience loves, you know, and yeah. and the performers love to play it too. So, yeah, got to have some. Um, had you played in any orchestras along the way? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, my as I mentioned, my first real job was uh, Empire Brass. I was on the sub list with the Rochester Philharmonic before that, and mm-hmm. luckily to lucky to play some with them. Uh, and that was my that and school were the my primarily uh, orchestral experience uh, yeah. up until that point. Over the years, I've gotten to play. You know, luckily, with the particularly the Empire Brass, played in front of a lot of orchestras. Uh, you know, most of the major orchestras in the country, I've got to play in in front of. And then uh, I've been lucky enough to play in the sections with Chicago and Boston and and uh, Minnesota, St. Louis. Rochester, probably some other ones, but yeah. but uh, but that was you know so that's been sort of fun just as a yeah. uh, for for a sideline. In Seattle, been actually moving to Tacoma, I've had a chance to play with the Seattle Symphony. I've been sort of I've never been a freelancer of any sort, yeah. so but I've sort of I do some freelancing up in Seattle, which has been really nice. That's great. Jerry Schwartz says he's still the music director there. No, no, they have a new director, and you know what? His name escapes me right now, uh, but he's just new, I believe, this year. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, you know, so hearing about all this, it seems like Empire, you know, that was a, it was, I guess, in retrospect, a fairly short, significant, yes, but short amount of time in all of mm-hmm. this. I mean, you've, you've done so much, especially since. Um, 
Does it seem like ages ago? It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's but, a, everybody. Well, the empire is still uh, well known. Surprisingly, uh, everyone, mm-hmm. you know, even the young kids still for the empire of brass. So, so I get to uh, reminisce quite often and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware. I, I played in this group called Proteus Seven. Have you heard of Proteus I've Seven? I've heard of that group. I didn't know you were part of that. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, one of the original members of that, and and uh, so we we actually it took us sort of a, in 1993 we started this group. It was Jeff Berger, I guess, so approached Jeff Kurnow, who was playing second trumpet in the Empire Brass at that point, and said, uh, you know, "I've been Jeff Berger's a was a manager, and he said, uh, you know, we're looking for another brass group, or we'd like to represent a brass group. You know, are you interested in coming up with a brass group?" And uh, and uh, he said. He was, and he talked to me, and we. It was time. That's the year I left Empire Brass as well, and so it ended up. Uh, it was. It evolved into a group of seven: two trumpets, two trombones, tuba, percussion, and woodwind. And the woodwind chair was one person, but uh, depending on who played, uh, Paul McCandless uh, played for a long time. Charles Pillow teaches at Eastman now. Uh, was our original member did a lot of recordings with us but charlie he would i think like paid 11 or 12 instruments every night on tour yeah and that was uh, you know added you know amazing colors to the to the group yeah and um tony d playing lead trumpet uh, oh wow uh, you know, yeah really amazing <laughs> group we had uh, i think four cds you can find them on spotify for the most part mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was uh, that was that was more of a crossover group uh, than than Empire, mm-hmm. was, we were doing really well actually. Uh, I think we had there was a community concert cir- uh, circuit. Remember that circuit? That's the circuit that uh, Empire Brass uh, sort of cut their teeth on. Same with the mm-hmm. Dallas Brass and Canadian Brass. And so we we were on that circuit, and I think it was like it was maybe two thousand five or six. Um, the, that circuit was still going strong and I think we had the most concerts of any group on that series we had like 70 75 concerts wow. that year yeah so we were we were doing really well mm-hmm. but then the business imploded uh, community concerts went there was a big scandal they went bankrupt oh wow and yeah 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 it's uh, they the sort of history behind that we don't need to go into it <laughs> but a lot of people left were left holding the bag and uh, and basically the whole structure uh, wow just fell to the ground and has not has not come back um so what kind of music was that group doing well we did um well we did these four recordings so we did uh, one recording it was uh called for your ears only it was uh you know a play on the for your eyes only right uh and so that was that was music sort of inspired by you know the spy genre Mission oh, Impossible cool. and James yeah. Bond and yeah, really cool, great stuff. Uh, Tony DiLorenzo or Anthony DiLorenzo, trumpet, amazing trumpet player, uh, a really fine uh, composer. And so he did. He did. Uh, he was our resident composer as well as our lead trumpet player. And so mm-hmm. he did. He always did some originals for for our, our recordings. So that was our first one for your ears only. We did a, a Leonard Bernstein tribute. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a Cha Cha album. <laughs> uh, it was really fun, very fun, and uh, oh sorry, uh, blanking out right now. But well, uh, look it up. You said it's on. Uh, yeah, say it's Spotify. On, yeah, I think three or four, three of the four, I think are on Spotify. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. I'll have to check that so, out again. Yeah. So that was that was I learned a lot and had a, a, a great time playing mm. with that group as well. And that's sort of mm. like, sorry where I went from the Empire Brass to Proteus Seven. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about Empire. How I, I vaguely remember a story that Sam had told about how Bernstein had just kind of pointed, you know, and said, "Okay, you're going to be in a group. You're going to be in this group. You're going to be in this group." Is that is that a pretty loose interpretation of of how that happened? <laughs> uh, well, I was that was before my time, so. Oh, that's right. You weren't the original yeah. trombone player, right? No, no. I think I was number thirteen. Hard to believe really? that. Or was that nine? Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it was yeah, it was nine. It was actually the group had been together and played together for thirteen years at that point. But I was the ninth trombone player. Wow. And then I I stayed for nine years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well. I can't imagine standing next to somebody like Sam, uh, who, who just a phenomenal musician, and from everything that I've heard, was just a great human being. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you know any of the guys in the group before uh, before you got in there? No, no. no I I was uh, I was an unknown quantity at that point. Vice versa, I didn't know much about the Empire Brass either. You know, I did. Uh, I got my masters in '83, and at that point. The CDs had not come out yet. You know, we, we were right. in the, the cassette Those, era. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and so, and so, the advent of the CD was was a was a brought on a golden age of a golden age of recording again and re-recording, mm -hmm. and um, and so, and in chamber music, kind of, the Empire Brass left the well went uh, on the road, so to speak. I think in nineteen eighty one. Uh, with Mark Lawrence being the the person who joined the group and went on the road with them, which was fantastic, mm -hmm. uh, and so that was a major step. So I, for uh, for me, a young young person, I, it never even occurred to me that you could uh, that chamber music was anything other than just something that you did for fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So I, so I was I, not aware of them. Yeah, I had a group um, that I I created and toured with just for a few years, did the whole showcasing thing. You know, mm -hmm. trying to get get out there. Had an agent and and all that, but um, where was I headed with that? Oh, uh, uh, we did classic rock covers. Okay, yeah. Stairway to Heaven, uh -huh. you know, Kansas, all kinds of things. But I still I still viewed it as a chamber music group. You know, here we are, a brass quintet plus drums. You know, but it's still it's not a band. It is mm -hmm. a band. <laughs> you know, but mm -hmm. still it re it required that same. Uh, uh, chamber music skills to to do this. And it doesn't matter yeah. if you're a, a recorder consort, right? Or that's yeah. I mean, Manazel Brass is is a chamber music group, right? Uh, yeah, if you look at it that way. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting. The the woodwind players in this group, Pro Seven, mm -hmm. they were um, obviously doublers, and uh, so Charles Pillow, our first first player, he went to Eastman, uh, did his uh, an arranging mm -hmm. degree. At Eastman, but uh, you know, he was basically trained as a jazz musician. He plays mm -hmm. double, playing the double reeds as well as all the clarinets, saxophones, and some flutes as well. Um, but he's he mentioned uh, after working with our group, uh, the rest of the the brass players and the, our percussionists were all sort of conservatory trained uh, mm -hmm. classical players. Uh, and he said, you know, I've never ever rehearsed like this. We never do things like this in, mm -hmm. in our genre, like working on balance and blend and and voice leading. And mm -hmm. like you say, and it ended up 
you know, being a lot of crossover and uh, lighter fare. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that was one of the, in the intriguing things for the, our woodwind players because they said, uh, you know, in our world, we don't, we never do this. Right. Uh, and so I, I agree. It was chamber music. I uh, talked to Gene Watts a couple of weeks ago. And, sure. you know, of course, he played trombone the entire time with, with Canadian in performance. But he said, you know, I really love euphonium. And I guess on some of the recordings, he actually played euphonium, which I thought was kind of mind blowing. You know, it's. Um, but did you do you feel kind of the same way? Are there things that you've that you could have done, well, differently or or better uh, had it been a euphonium, in your hands? Um, well, it would certainly have been different. Um, you know, and there are times and places where where euphonium just, you know, if you're, the cool thing about a brass ensemble is that uh, that you can get this homogenous sound you can have a french horn trombone trumpets and tuba and you can play a chord and and they can be a new timbre that's not that's mm -hmm. that's uh, everybody can sort of adjust and shift their sound so that the timbre can can become there's a lot of crossover so to speak of, mm -hmm. um so with that in mind the euphonium would lean towards the tuba that conical mm -hmm. timbre so there's certainly some resonant, uh, you know, vocal things would come to mind, mm -hmm. or just sort of band-oriented things. So would certainly mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. worked better on euphonium than trombone, even mm -hmm. in the quintet. So thinking about Yale, then, do you teach euphonium? Do you have your your uh, players do both learn both if they haven't already learned how to do it? I don't make a major push towards that uh, necessarily mm -hmm. um we encourage people to double and, and uh, there is no the at yale again uh, it's a graduate level school conservatory essentially uh and there's no band uh outside of the the yale concert band which is open mm -hmm. to any everybody at the, in the yale community so it's it's oh, wow. not not music majors yeah, mm -hmm. uh, they do a great job, obviously. But uh, a lot of over the years, so uh, there's oftentimes not euphonium in the ranks, and they they come to the school of music to fill out uh, some chairs. Uh, whether it happens to be tuba or euphonium, more trombones, bass trombone, trumpets, French horns. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, the school of music students get paid actually to play in the band, and so yeah. therefore they get a lot of experience. Of uh, there's a good reason there to pick up euphonium etc mm -hmm. um and if they do the, the and plus there's a yale symphony orchestra which is university-wide orchestra well, again not majors uh, but they do major rep and so they so they, they will do things like the planets and, and Mahler seven and and other things that would call the uh, rite of spring bass trumpet mm -hmm. things like that so so we get call for that uh but but right. it's not not a not a major uh, thrust, I would say. Yeah. I, I, I hope you're enjoying today's interview. This is just a short break to remind you to visit Messina Covers, Pickett Blackburn, Hammond Design, Eastman Winds, and the SE Shires websites to check out their exceptional products and services. They design and produce the things that make trumpet playing easier and more enjoyable. You can find links to their websites in the show notes. Now, back to the interview. I want to go back earlier. You mentioned uh, that the the graduate program is tuition free. Mm -hmm. Is that how does that work? Oh, very nicely. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, but I'm just thinking. You know, how does uh, 
well, who's paying for it? I mean, somebody's got to be paying, paying for yeah. that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, there's a good story about it for it. Uh, um, it's, it was endowed. Uh, there was a, a local businessman who was a former Yale who wanted to, wanted to benefit the school of music mm-hmm. in some, in some manner and trying to figure out just how do we, how do we do that? Um, uh, Stephen Adams and his wife. And so he, uh, in consultation with the dean of the school of music and the provost of the university, they made apparently there's this. He told a story one time of how it came about, and so you know, Mr. Adams called up one day and said, "You know, I've got to I've got to take a flight down to uh, San Diego, <laughs> you know, next Thursday. You know, if you folks want to just like come along on the jet, and uh, we'll have a nice lunch, and and you know, do some business, and we'll fly back. We'll be back by dinner time." Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, you know we can talk this over, and so 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 some of the the suits you know jumped on the plane and uh, they sort of had a, a discussion on you know you know how can we benefit the school of music and so how much money are these how many people are in the school of music how many how much money can they expect to make when they get out of school of music which is not necessarily that much when it comes down to it relative to a lot of other things um, how much does it cost to for them to go to school and so it became really obvious that uh, these talented people were coming to school spending a lot of money not with the prospect of getting rich on the other side so covering the tuition became an obvious thing that that he could do and so they did some math okay 200 students times forty thousand dollars that uh, was different numbers but twenty five thousand dollars i think is what they came up with uh, mm-hmm. out of pocket so anyway yeah hundred million dollars if we, if we if we gave a hundred million dollars, uh, you know, we could subsidize the tuition in perpetuity. And so he said, "Let's do it." Very nice. Well, that must make for a very competitive uh, audition to get in there. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we're on the on the radar screen now of uh, yeah the top <laughs> top students, and you know the cost the cost is a factor. You know why why pay forty thousand dollars a year if you don't have to? Yeah. Uh, so, and so it was already a good school, but uh, but it mm-hmm. consolidated. So there's there's no there are no dead wood at school anymore, and it's uh, mm-hmm. you know, we get a lot of Curtis and graduates from all the major uh, schools. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's um, several years ago, the admissions director said proudly that uh, we have a you know when it comes down to our I forget how the, the term, but. Uh, the competition between if it is, uh, Yale or somebody else, we only uh, on we win that equation every time except for one other school. And uh, I shouldn't say who that is, <laughs> but it was at that point this uh, Juilliard. It was the only school oh, that, wow. that uh, you know, given the option, that right. we didn't win, win the, the coin toss. So but anyway, it's wow. it's a nice place, nice yeah. place to hang out. Yeah, um, I, I know skipping around just a little bit. I like to go back to Empire. Um, you in in your tenure there, uh, how many recordings did you did you work on, produce? In Empire, yeah, I don't even I don't even know, unfortunately. Um, you know, fifteen or less, you know, which is substantial. But <laughs> yeah, it is substantial. Mm-hmm. Wow, and and especially over a nine year period. I mean, sometimes you know people look at an album, maybe once every two to three years, but that's that's a lot of output. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I have to say that I, I was really fortunate because I joined that group uh, at, uh, as I said earlier, sort of at the beginning of the CD era. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and also it was a time when, thanks to the Canadian Brass and the Empire Brass, I think in particular, uh, brass groups were sort of in vogue. And actually they were being hired, you know, by, yeah. by ch- chamber ensembles. We played with a lot of orchestras. Uh, and so it was just sort of a period where that was, uh, we were, we, I think, again, thanks to Canadian Brass and the Empire Brass, uh, the, the audiences realized that it's really fun to hear a brass group. They, they can do a lot of things. And, uh, and the fact that they can do a lot of things, uh, play a lot of different genres, meant that it mm-hmm. could appeal. Uh, the presenters realized that this high-quality ensemble can appeal to a broader audience and pull people in and sort of like the lighter side of, uh, uh, of their season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were considered... You know, for better or for worse, uh, you know, sort yeah. of on the lighter side of the chamber music yeah. series. Yeah, but and not so, lighter um, between the two groups. I mean, Canadian and Empire are still very different groups. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys didn't. You you wore the tails, but you wore black shoes. You know, they wore a tuxedo <laughs> and wore the tennis shoes. But um, you know, to think about just the difference there. Uh, well, you guys, I I think people view you as kind of that serious group. Not the Canadian wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just, but it's just great music. That's the other thing is it doesn't really matter what you're playing, right? If you perform well. And right. I think that's, you know, obviously the two groups were well, and Canadian brass still sounds great, you know, even right. with, yeah. you know, that younger generation that they've got in there. But yeah, and, yeah. In the 70s, the Empire aspired to be a, a sort of a, a highbrow uh, mm-hmm. chamber ensemble, you know, and they, they made their, uh, you know, they obviously played at that level and they made a name mm-hmm. uh, doing that. Uh, but then once they decided the, to break free and actually try to make a living, it became pretty obvious that uh, in order yeah. to continue to get enough bookings to make a living, you had to appeal to a broader audience. And uh, it just sort of like it was, it was uh, dictated by existence. That, mm. that one entertain uh, lighter fare and you know luckily we like to do it anyway and, and had people had a lot of uh, experience doing that as well but yeah so we moved gradually in that towards that direction yeah i'm kind of wondering what this is going to look like on the other side of covid mm. you know with uh i i just can't imagine you know orchestras are canceling their seasons but that also means that you know, if they were going to have somebody like Empire, Canadian Brass, or, you know, somebody else come through and be on there, everybody's getting killed on this. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, I, it seems like a long road to recovery after this. I hope not, yeah. but... Um, so. Yeah, it's hard. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, we have a lot of time to sit and think about how things might might be, you know, a year from now. Yeah. I think, I think you know, this is not unprecedented, Certainly, you know, for centuries and centuries, uh, pandemics have, you know, epidemics have been part of the, the fabric of, of, of life and uh, things sort of are put on hold for a while. And then, you know, some things, you know, uh, think out and, and continue on their path, but certainly altered in some way. Yeah. So I think one, one of the alterations, I think that online uh, is, has, had a chance to develop more and people become 
familiar with and mm-hmm. learn some skills. And so I think I think things like your podcasts are are certainly going to be more popular than ever. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. And that's a yeah. it's a great forum. Yeah, it was just like uh, we've done some recently. I was working with the chamber uh, or the Chautauqua Institution doing some mock auditions, and um, I think it's a great format for that actually you know the students mm-hmm. at that point for the most part they submitted recordings and then uh, they got critiques from people from mm-hmm. all you know from wherever they happen to be but from various musical walks of life mm-hmm. and and so all of a sudden the screens filled up with with uh, roger cuss's face and and, <laughs> and he's principal horn in st louis and he's he's telling us uh, you know things that, that from the perspective of the principal horn of the St. Louis Symphony, and then I mm-hmm. say what I say, and and so, and it was just really, and then you can interact, and in in, a, in some in some ways, it was more personal than mm-hmm. a, a class like that in person. So anyway, I, there's going to be a lot of yeah. Well, I see a lot of potential in this too. For like, if I wanted to have you in as a as a do a master class for me, we could do it online. Yeah, you know, I could save. You know, and all of a sudden now, whatever budget I have to bring people in, you know, now I can get more people through the year because mm-hmm. I don't have to pay travel costs or hotel or per diem, mm-hmm. right? And I pay your fee, and you show up, and mm-hmm. um, so I see there's a benefit. You know, try to making the find the silver lining and all this stuff. Right. But, uh, right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. It, well, it already is interesting, exactly. uh, and a little bit and a little bit terrifying. Right. Yeah. One thing that uh, if I if I can just sort of put this idea out there that that uh, has been sort of obvious to me, but uh, but I think it's uh, I have a uh, this is a test to see if I'm right. Uh, mm-hmm. So for for me, I'm a, obviously I, I teach trombone, I play trombone. Uh, I love the interaction of of playing music together and listening to music. But one reason that I do what I do is because I just love the process of of doing it. You know, I just like, yeah, I have the challenge of, you know, this hunk of metal in my hands and trying to figure out how to make it do what I want it to do. Right. Yeah. And so, and I think just that personal sort of challenge of, uh, you know, me against this, this hunk of metal, you know, is what makes me continue. Right. You know, you know, I, you know, there are all kinds of, you know, philosophical and emotional things that go along with it, but just, you know, one thing that makes me pick it up day after day is is that i i want to see if i can get a little bit better at this you know and and i think that's that's something that has somewhat been missing for for some of the younger generation they just haven't haven't uh, been exposed to acoustic instruments as much as they used to yeah um but but those but that being said you know in 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 my little niche uh there are we're having just as many people audition for the Yale School of Music as ever, and uh, the level is just certainly, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and people love it just as much as they ever did, and they do it, you know, just because they have to do it. Yeah. You know, and I think I think this may be an opportunity for kids to just be at home and just realize, hopefully, that that they like playing their clarinet. Yeah. You know, this is something that uh, you know, right. just like it's a great way to spend uh, spend some time. I, I don't, and I don't think it's going to go away because that's always going to be there. Just that, yeah. that uh, benefit of, of sitting in a room and trying to mm-hmm. accomplish something on that horn. Well, you know, even along that line, uh, I've done more listening this summer than before, mm-hmm. and just uh, YouTube, right? I mean, it's such a great resource. Um, 
but there's so many great players out there, you know, mm-hmm. and just, it's like, yeah, I tell my students, look, you can go study with this guy for the summer online, just pull up their videos, you know, and yeah. just observe everything you can about them. Right. Um, which they should be doing even during a regular school year, you know, as part of their assignments, they should be listening. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I remember being really young and dumb, you know, and not taking advantage of things, but <laughs> uh, now I'm just old and dumb. You know, so. Well, aren't we? Yeah, yeah same. I mean, we can all say that, can't we? Which is, yeah. there's yeah. so much opportunity. And, and now, like you say, it's just sitting there on, you know, yeah. I have to do is turn the thing on and and you could be any place in the world listening to anything. Yeah. So, yeah. So the benefit of that is, uh, you know, I should sort of put in a plug for a second too. One of the, one of my sort of obsessions for a number of years is I, I started making mouthpieces, trombone mouthpieces, and they're they're uh, uh, you can check it out. It's HartmanMouthpieces.net. And yeah. so I've I've come up with a. They're modular. I mean, my custom mouthpieces are modular, and I've really sort of spent all kinds of time and effort trying to figure out how they work and what components do what. And um, are you doing these yourself? You've got a shop to do that. Oh, I've got I've got a lathe in both places, uh, but yeah. I also I have uh, machine shops make okay. like component parts that I have to sort of cut to size. And uh, I'm trying to think of what you know got me on that tack there. Um, what were we just talking about? Um, well, you were talking about the mouthpieces. And before that, and I'm trying to remember why I even brought that up. Oh, you said you were <laughs> going to give a plug. You know, it was, it was a plug for your mouthpieces. Yeah, yeah but something else would have got me. Uh, uh, sorry. No, that's okay. But I was I was talking about uh, the benefit of YouTube, you know, and being able to go oh, and yeah. watch. And, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, so the thing is that uh, the world is just so finite now. Now you can you can be you know you you're in Indianapolis, but you could easily be in Seoul. I mean, today I'm I'm judging a contest for Seoul con- competition in Jeju, South Korea. So I'm actually oh, essentially wow. by the normal times I would be sitting in South Korea, but mm-hmm. I'd look just the same. You know, okay, the background right. would be different, right. but I'd be talking to you in real time. Right. You know, so 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 music and you know learning from people being exposed to the whole world is just right there. It's just like, there's no, no such thing as regional anymore. Same thing for, you know, the mouthpieces, I guess, you know, so, so my market is, is the whole world, you know, so considering that, okay, maybe our, um, I'm a, I consider myself a chamber musician, trombone chamber musician, you know, it's just like, what a small market that is. But <laughs> so the whole if world, you get together to meet. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, you know I've had I've got various chamber groups, and so right now, obviously, everything is sort of on hold. Yeah. Um, but but uh, there's just another group that I uh, played with and have been a member of uh, Millennium Brass Quintet. It was Vince Martino. Oh yeah. Them, and, yeah, fantastic yeah. group. Lisa Vinny was my first teacher. Ah. Yeah. What a, he I was love my, him to death. He's the best. Yeah, he is. He was yeah. my uh, my freshman jazz band instructor at uh oh at eastman at yes. eastman yeah yeah and it was just like blew me away you know this guy is he's he's yeah. he's one of one of the great talents obviously and a great teacher yeah. great great person yeah um and so we just have so much fun and we played uh we just sort of get together and, and we used to go to greece and play this festival in in greece and play concerts teach 
And uh, my, uh, you may know Vince's uh, mantra is, music is what we do in between meals. Yes. <laughs> Somebody I talked to last week mentioned the same thing. That's hilarious. Yeah. 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 And yeah, so, he's tried you know, to get me to go to that uh, that uh, festival in Greece, mm-hmm. and uh, of course it was canceled this year. I think mm-hmm. maybe had been canceled the year previous. Not enough registrants, but um, yeah, I'd I'd love to do that. You know, yeah. he's he every time I talk to him, he's pushing. You're going to go to Greece this year. Going to go to Greece. <laughs> it's like, well, we'll see. Maybe in the in the yeah. next time around. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, dude, you'd enjoy it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that's that's uh, so uh, yeah. when I say I'm, I'm basically in a uh, what do they call it? weekend warrior trombonist these days mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. you know you get together and you go out and play with people like Vince DiMartino Tony DiLorenzo mm-hmm. uh, you know we don't do it for a living but uh, we do it because we love it yeah yeah it's a reason to live right oh yeah 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 absolutely it's something to look forward to it's hard to find something yeah. to look forward to these days yeah mm-hmm. so. Well, I was looking forward to this interview, and I've had a great time. Me too. Well, I wish you the best in this coming year. Hope I hope uh, everything works out. And I, you know, I'd, I'd say I'd meet you at a festival, but I don't go to the trombone festival. I go to the trumpet. <laughs> oh, uh, well. but, that's uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. Those are those are arguably more melodramatic than the trombone <laughs> versions. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Okay, so hang on a second. I just talked to. Um, well, I don't know if you know Chris Van Hoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, is at Ball State. I'm actually talking to Chris tomorrow, but okay. heck of a heck of a trauma. Well, I mean, he put together the was the 2019 or 2018 conference. I'd forgotten. Yeah, was it ITF was in, in Muncie. Yeah, um, but then I had also talked to uh, Christopher Bill, and I'm going right. to interview uh-huh. him in a couple of weeks. And uh, what a, I mean, both ends of the spectrum, right? Uh, yeah. on things, yeah. but. Uh, it's people like Christopher Bell who's just constantly putting out great content. Uh, it's like he's found his niche. He's found a way to make it through. Yeah, stuff like yeah. this. Right. That's so. the thing is, there the niches are still there. It's yeah. just like you know, the world now is is smaller. So you find out. You know, I I I'm a fan of you know, figuring out what you love to do and mm-hmm. find your your soulmates and follow your dream. I'm gonna. That's your quote. I'm gonna put that on the T-shirt. <laughs> okay, your wife can do that in the basement. Yeah, yeah, it's wow. been great. In fact, uh, this is my this is my favorite design. This is one. Uh, I don't know if you would appreciate that. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you're a t-shirt guy, I mean, I don't know if you want trumpet player swag, but I'll send you. I'll send you one. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. I should. I, I should keep this in mind. I uh, with my mouthpiece and stuff. I I I need to make up some swag. So. Maybe oh. your wife can help me. Yeah, she does designs, does designs yeah. too. And mm-hmm. along that line, I'll tell you, uh, this logo back here, Jeff Curnow did that for me. Ah, Jeff. Jeff so is talented. fantastic. He certainly is. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's, uh, yeah, you know, I found out he was a cartoonist and I actually called him. I said, hey, everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. Thanks again for joining me for another terrific interview. This week's guest is Principal Trumpet with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, Hunter Eberly. And we're going to have a fun time talking about everything from trumpet to fishing during today's interview. But before we get to Hunter's interview, I need to let you know more about the show sponsors. And we'll start with Messina Covers. Messina Covers is not just any other case company. David Messina and Erica Howard design and produce some of the most beautiful cases that fit both form and function. You can choose your case design, fabric and trim color, custom embroidery, and more. 
Find out more at MessinaCovers.net. Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. is when you can tune in and listen to the radio version of these interviews. Each week I choose highlights from an interview and add in musical selections written in or performed by the guest. And you can find this show on the FM dial at 88.7 WICR The Diamond. You can also tune in via the iHeartRadio app. Again, that's each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Peter Pickett and his crack team of craftspeople are continually innovating and providing the trumpet community with spectacular options for stock and custom mouthpieces. He and Eric Marine can help you find just the right size to fit your needs, and you should definitely consider trying the acrylic cup and rim. And if you're in the market for a custom trumpet, then Peter and Eric can build a Blackburn trumpet just for you. Check them out at picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Studio HFL. And you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And you know, while you're there, you ought to just go ahead and subscribe. My first experience with a Hammond Design mouthpiece has turned into a bit of an obsession. From one to, well, I think it's more than 30 now. Um, and just don't tell my wife. There's something very comfortable about playing one of Carl's mouthpieces. The comfort, response, and sound are part of that HD experience. Try one of the stock mouthpieces or have Carl make you a custom one. Either way, everything is better in HD. You can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes, go to Apple Podcast, and leave a star rating and a review. Doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners. When I first tried an Eastman B-flat trumpet a few years ago, I was blown away by the playability and the sound. And the more I found out about the company and got to know the people, I knew that this was a company I wanted to have a relationship with. There's a drive for excellence in design and production of every instrument, not just the high-end products. And the proof of this is the one and only Doc Severinsen helped design the Eastman beginner model trumpet. I still play my B-flat and have added a spectacular cornet and flugelhorn to my arsenal. Find out more at eastmanwins.com. I would love it if you would visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. While you're there, you can also visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself and as a gift for someone else. Of course, that is at studiohfl.com. My current situation with my C trumpet is ridiculous. My Shire C, which Samantha Lane helped me trial and choose, is the most versatile C I've ever played. The line of Shire's trumpets includes the Q-series, which are production models, and the Custom series, which is exactly that, they're custom horns. Either way you go, you'll love the sound you get, and you'll also experience exceptional customer service. Find out more at seshires.com. And lastly, before we get to the interview, I'd like to invite you to become a part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help to financially support the show for as little as $36 per year. That's only $3 a month. And benefits include exclusive access to interview excerpts, a behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. Join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com slash studio HFL. And now, on with the interview. Can you do a cartoon for a specific thing? And he says, yeah, send me your logo. And I said, well, I don't really have a logo. He goes, I'll make one for you. I said, great. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
uh, Kerno as well. Oh, no way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah great. He, he did that. Uh, it's part of a, Adam Fry and myself. I, I have to apologize. I <laughs> cut, cut him off the cover there. But <laughs> Oops. That's uh-huh. great. But that, that's, that's, great. My, that's my, uh, my, when the camera's off on Zoom, that's what people. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> well, Scott, thank you so much for the time this morning. It's been a, it's sure. been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, likewise, I appreciate uh, talking with you and getting yeah. to meet you. Hey, thanks for joining me today for this interview. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to hear more, you can visit patreon.com slash studio HFL. By becoming a supporter, you can have access to content that is exclusively available to my Patreon patrons. I'd also like to remind you to visit Apple Podcast and leave a star rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on social media. This has been a production of Powell Music LLC and has been supported by the generosity of sponsors Messina Covers, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, Hammond Design, and Pickett Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host, Larry Powell, and you can find out more about me and the rest of the podcast at StudioHFL.com. Thanks for listening, and keep coming back for more great interviews. <laughs>